Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by listening in, and we're grateful for you. Um, Before we begin, I just want to encourage you to not let this podcast replace the local church in your life. God has designed it so that we are to join a local church and serve that body of believers and be shepherded by the pastor of that church. And that's something no podcast can give you. And so if you're not involved in a local church, let me encourage you to find one as soon as possible. Enjoy our podcast. I was going to introduce it this week. Um, Open your Bibles to John 19. John 19. We'll start in verse 16 this morning. We'll read through the end of chapter 19. There is a great crisis in our country. This crisis has overtaken 43 million people nationwide. As a whole, this crisis has cost Americans $1.4 trillion. This crisis is student loans. The narrative often presented to students is this. You want to be successful, don't you? You want to have a good life, don't you? You have to go to college for that. Don't have money to go to college? That's okay. Just borrow it in student loans. If you don't go to college, uh, I know student loans sound bad, but if you don't go to college, you're going to end up flipping burgers at McDonald's for the rest of your life. You don't want that, do you? So in, in, in their minds, young people have two options. Number one, have a miserable life as a fast food worker. Number two, get a good career by going to college but acquire tens of thousands of student loan debt. Tens of thousands of dollars, sometimes way more than that. That's the key to success. That's the American dream. I loved my college years. God did for me um, so much work in my heart that needed to happen in those years, made me who I am today, but I hate my student loans. If I had it to do over, I'd still go to college, but I would work a job while I was there. I didn't work a job when I was in college. Um, I would have paid down at least some of that. Um, And I would have learned how to manage money before I went to college. Uh, uh, Youth in this church, before you go to college, let me implore you, learn how to budget your money, learn how to pay off debt, and learn how to save money. Um, Come talk to me. I'll teach you how to do that. I've had to learn since I acquired student loan debt. Um, like, Like, learn how to do those things. The average student debt today is $32,000. That's the average. That's the average. That means there are nearly half that are higher than that. Typically, about $10,000 of that is interest. So you pay your $22,000 of debt that you took out, then you owe the bank $10,000 in the process. A typical student, if they go to grad school, doesn't start paying on their loans until their late 20s usually a 10-year payment plan, so that means that they won't have all that paid off until they are almost 40 years old. 40 years old. And we wonder why young people so foolishly want the government to forgive their student loans. Because when this is the weight hanging over their head, they feel like they can never get out from under it. And often that's how our sin We have this huge weight on us that we have to pay back, and we never can. 
The amount keeps increasing. We, we think we can pay it off with good things, and, but, but every good thing that we do, we acquire 10 sins that pop up in the process. We are accumulating more and more interest, and we don't know how to get out from under it. Some days you might cope by saying, you know, I don't feel as guilty today as I did yesterday, so maybe I'm doing okay. But ultimately, good deeds don't pay for your sins. The same way that it doesn't matter if a murderer starts serving in a soup kitchen, he still has to be judged for his murder. You, you cannot pay for your sins. Somebody else has to do it. That's the heart of Good Friday. So let's look at John 19. I'm going to start in verse 16. Picks up where we left off last week. So Pilate delivered Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus... He went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It reads, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments, divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fill the, fulfill the scripture, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. I think we'll stop there for now. Jesus is led out to be crucified. He's, he's just been, we, we looked at his trial last week. He was not guilty, but they substituted him um, for us, for his disciples, and in this case, for Barabbas. He's taken out, and he is led out to be crucified. The Gospels never record the gore of the crucifixion. We often do that. Um, they simply say that he was crucified. They don't record like, you know, they hammered the nails into his hand and they beat him with a whip and ripped off his flesh. Like, they don't do any of that. Why? Because the readers of these Gospels would have known about that. You don't have to describe it to them. They see it every single day. The, they had seen the gore of crucifixion so many times in their life. The Romans would line up roads in the street with crucified criminals down that street um, to get the Roman citizens to submit. They wanted it to carry a message. And the gore is not the focus because as bad as crucifixion was, that's not the worst thing happening to Jesus in this moment. He's bearing the wrath of God. He's bearing the judgment for sin. Isaiah 53.10, we read Isaiah 53 earlier, verse 10 later in the passage, it says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, speaking of Jesus. It's the will of the Lord that Jesus should be crushed for sin. 
The Father is crushing Jesus in this process so we don't have to be crushed, so we don't have to be destroyed. Jesus is crucified at a location, verse 17. It's, it's got different names called the place of a skull in Aramaic. Um, I'm sorry, it's, it's called place of the skull in Greek. In Aramaic, it's called Golgotha. Um, you probably know the Latin name as well. It's not mentioned here, Calvary. Um, it, the, those are the different names. It's the place where people are led to die. It's the place they take people to kill them. This is likely a place crucifixion happened often. This is not just a place that they picked. It's likely where they took criminals to kill them. Um, often when people were dead at a crucifixion, they'd be taken off the cross and just tossed you know, in the back in a little alley, and, and they would just rot there. Um, so there's skulls everywhere. That's why it's called the place of the skull. This is a place where they crucify people. These are the worst criminals. They don't give them the honor of a burial. They just kind of toss them out back. Jesus was given the honor of a burial, which we're going to see, but that's because he had followers. Um, Likely, Jesus would have simply carried the horizontal part of his cross. Um, They they usually left the the vertical pole in the ground, and they had the person carry the horizontal part. They would have nailed him to that and raised him up onto that vertical pole that was already in the ground. That's typically how they did it, Um, so that's probably what happened. I suppose there maybe was circumstances that might have had him carry the whole thing, Um, but, but generally that's how they did crucifixion. Um, there's an inscription written over his head. Verse 19, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. It's written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek, the three most common languages of the time. It, this is being done so that all can see it and understand it. They know why this guy is here. All the nations can know what is happening in this moment. This is everything the Gospel of John has been pointing to. We've been going through John since July. Everything we've seen happen in John has been leading to this moment. This is the Lamb of God hanging there for all the sins of the world. This is the temple. Remember Jesus mentioned, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days? They're tearing down the temple right here, but it's going to get rebuilt. This is God's only Son given that the world can have salvation because God loved the world so much. This is the Messiah coming to bring living water. This is the bread of life that will satisfy you. This is the light of the world shining out in the darkness. This is the good shepherd laying down his life for his sheep. This is the resurrection and the life. This is the one that if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. You know what the Father looks like. This is indeed the Savior of the world hanging on the cross. We see different groups of people in this crowd around his cross as we look at this part. First, we see the Pharisees, verses 21 and 22. They go up to Pilate. They're petty men. They're just petty men. They have done a corrupt way to get Jesus crucified, and they've done a secret trial at night because they weren't allowed to do it at night. That They wanted to keep it hidden and get it taken care of. They go up to Pilate, and they've been working to get this guy crucified the entire book. They finally get it, and they're still not satisfied. They walk up to him. They say, hey, you wrote that he's the king of the Jews. No, 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 change that. This man said I'm the king of the Jews. Can you go change that, please? We don't like that you wrote that. And I love Pilate. He just looks at him and says, look, what I wrote, I wrote. Deal with it. Deal with it, you little trolls. Like, like that's, that's what's going on here. I just think it's pretty funny that Pilate does that. These are vile men that can't see God become man in front of them hanging there. They still aren't satisfied getting exactly what they begged for. 
You have the Pharisees. Then you have the soldiers, verses 23-24. They're down at the foot of the cross. They're dividing Jesus' clothing among them. The soldiers stand at the foot and they gamble for Jesus' clothing. Likely the only possessions Jesus had were the clothes on his back. And they split those clothes evenly among themselves. But the tunic that he had is one big garment. It's kind of worthless if they tear it. So they, they play a game of Yahtzee for it. They roll dice, and whoever wins gets the garment. They get to go have it or sell it or do whatever they want with it. They're down here literally. I mean, Jesus is as close on the cross as that stool is to me. They're down there gambling his clothing, and he's hanging there dying. It's the Son of God hanging on the cross, bearing sin, and they're at his feet playing a game. Wake up. Wake up. See the Savior dying for sinners. Wake up. No, we'll just keep rolling our, our, our cat eyes. We'll keep rolling a four, keep rolling a six. We'll, we'll keep rolling these dice. That, that, we're, we're satisfied doing that. This was to fulfill Scripture, as you'll see in verse 24. They, they, they divided his garments. Everything that happens in this passage fulfills Scripture. You see that phrase in um, 24. This was to fulfill Scripture. You see it in 28, which we haven't read yet. Parentheses, to fulfill Scripture, you see it in 36 and 37. Four times that idea is mentioned here that it's going to fulfill Scripture. Everything here is happening to fulfill Scripture. All of this was planned. It looks like Jesus is being defeated. He's not. It looks like this is his demise. It's not. He's fighting a battle, but it's a different battle than we might imagine. These selfish men are standing by just wanting gain, playing their little game, and Christ is dying. These selfish men just want gain. You've got the Pharisees being selfish. You've got the soldiers being selfish. I ask you, where are you in the crowd? Because you're there. You're there. That's the point. We're among the scoffers. You don't believe me? Okay, let's, let's take a little test. You think you've kept the Ten Commandments? You ever told a lie? When you lie, you oppose the God of truth. You seek to make reality what is opposite of what he's made. You don't like the way he set it up, so you lie to try and change it. Have you ever told a lie? That's the ninth commandment. You ever stolen anything? Even something small? Food off somebody's plate you didn't ask for? Fudged your taxes? Something like that? That's the eighth commandment. When you steal, you're protesting against the God who gives you all things, and you're saying you're not satisfied with what he gave you. You want more. You ever use God's name in vain? That's called blasphemy. That's the third commandment. You're taking the holy name of God who made you and running it through the mud when you do that. 1 John 3.15 says, if you hate somebody, you're a murderer at heart. You ever hated anyone? Understand, when you hate someone, you're essentially wishing that a person God created didn't exist. You'd like to just blot them out of memory. God, how dare you make that person? Get them out of here. Thus, you're murdering them in your heart. That's the sixth commandment. I could go through all ten of them. Those are just four. The point is, if I were to keep going, I'd show you exactly how you've broken all ten of them, and I have too. That's the point. That's why Jesus has to hang on the cross for you, because you can't keep those ten commandments. You can't. Think of the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. We, we unfortunately didn't, didn't include that in, in our Easter hymns that we picked, but... Um, Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice cry out among the scoffers. 
It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. He didn't go to the cross just for some moron you know. He went for you. He went for you. It was your sin that held him there on the cross, not just somebody else's. It was yours. All of us are like these Pharisees and these soldiers. We are selfish. We want our own way. We want stuff our way, inconsiderate of people around us. We have fallen short. We completely ignore the spotless lamb standing in our place. We're standing there in the crowd scoffing as Jesus dies, and he continues hanging there for us because after this is over we're going to realize the fact of what happened we're, we're going to see it one more group in the crowd verses 25 and 20 through 27 but this is more focused on jesus than the people in the crowd here while all of these selfish crowd are being selfish jesus is hanging there being selfless he sees his mother standing there and he sees John the disciple, the one who wrote this book, um, he calls him the disciple whom, it, John is called the disciple whom Jesus loved. You see that many times in the Gospel of John. Um, John never calls himself by name in his book. He always calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's standing there with Mary. As best we can tell from the information we have, this is the only one of the 12 that came to Jesus' crucifixion. Um, maybe the others were there. We don't know. This is all the information we got. John is there with Mary. And Jesus' only thought while he's hanging on the cross is to make sure his mother's taken care of. Make sure his mother has someone to take care of her. His father, Joseph, would have died, and so that made Jesus the firstborn, the man of the house. He's about to die, so Jesus has to figure out what to do for his mother in his last moments. And, you know, he's hanging there thinking about his mother. You know, I'd be hanging there calling down lightning to kill these little soldiers playing Yahtzee in front of me. He's thinking about his mother. Jesus asked John, hey, take over for me. Would, would you take care of my mother? Would you do that, please? He says, behold your son, behold your mother. And we know that John did that. We know from church history John did that. John goes on to be the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Um, he takes Mary there with him, and he's there for most of his life, and Mary is always there with him. John begins treating her like, like he's her own mother. And Jesus is hanging here on the cross, showing his selfless love as he dies, not just in his cares for his mother, but in the cross itself. Let's finish the passage, 28. I'm going to read through 37, and we're going to read the bottom part later. 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch, held it to his mouth. When Jesus had, finished, had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head, gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him, but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and, one, and once there came out blood and water. He who saw it was born witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. 
Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. At the beginning of John, if you remember, Jesus came walking by John the Baptist one day, and John the Baptist said what? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. On Golgotha, on Calvary, at the place of the skull, Jesus is serving as that lamb. He's also serving as the priest. He's serving as that priest. Jesus knows that what he's doing is about to be finished, so he asks for a drink. Why does he do that? Well, likely he has a dry mouth. He's been hanging there for six hours. He can't speak. He needs a drink to wet his throat so he can talk. They give him sour wine. He takes enough to drink to be able to speak one final thing. At exactly the same time, over in Jerusalem, there's a priest at the temple performing a sacrifice. It's the Passover. If you remember the Passover, Moses told the Israelites, put blood over your doorposts so that when death comes into the camp, it won't take your firstborn son. And so the Jews do that every year now as to remember that. And so at this very time that Jesus is dying, the priest is over in the temple sacrificing a lamb to remember that Passover, that death wouldn't get people. Jesus is here on the cross serving as both the Lamb of God and as that priest. He's dying to cover sinners from their judgment. As he hangs there, all sin is placed on him. Sin is placed on top of him as he hangs there. Every sinful action is, is placed on him. Every murder, every theft, every adultery, every sexual immorality, every bit of homosexuality, every abortion, every wasted hour, every religious hypocrisy, every dollar spent in wicked ways, every act of pagan worship, every gluttonous gorge, every angry outburst, Every gambling, every terrorism, every political anarchy, every government sedition, every absent father, every neglectful mother, every church split, every divisive church member, every arrogant pastor, every person who comes to church as a consumer and doesn't serve, every shooting, every vandalism, every drunken stupor, every divorce, every drug addiction, every bit of witchcraft, Every disengaged husband, every abusive husband, every disrespectful wife, every doubt of God, every distrust of God, every neglect of sharing the gospel, it's all placed on Jesus. Not just that, every sinful word, every lie, every bit of gossip, every blasphemy, every false teaching, every hurtful sarcasm, every harsh criticism, every coarse language, every sinful judgment, every dirty joke, every child that has mocked their parents, every parent that has had an angry outburst and yelled at their children, not only that, every sinful thought, every bit of pride, every bit of judgmentalism, every greed, every lack of contentment, every covet, every laziness, every bit of lust, every frustration, every grudge, every unforgiveness, every hatred, every racism, every sexism, every arrogance, every anxiety, every anger, and every other sin known to man is on Jesus as he hangs there. He bears up under the weight of all of that. It gets heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. He bears God's judgment for all of this, the judgment you and I deserve. We don't deserve a slap on the wrist for our sins. We deserve what Jesus is experiencing right here, and he makes a payment for it, for your sin, for my sin. Every bitter thought, every evil deed crowning his blood-stained brow. 
And as it bears on him more and more, he takes a breath. And with a shout of victory, he cries out three last words, the most famous last words in history. It is finished. Now the daylight flees, now the ground beneath quakes as its maker bows his head, curtain torn in two, dead or raised to life, finished the victory cry. It's a shout of victory that rings out through all of the land. It rings out through all of history. It's a shockwave that's heard forever. He lays down his life. Nobody takes it from him. He lays it down. He takes all sin onto his body and he dies. It dies with him. The author of life, the Lord of all, the Son of God is dead. He's dead. The sacrifice is complete. The battle is won. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. We see here just how much Jesus loved us. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, Paul says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and be filled up with the fullness of God. The love of Christ goes completely everywhere that way, completely everywhere that way, completely everywhere that way, and all the other directions. It goes everywhere. He loves us infinitely. He bore our sins on the cross, and it is over. It's done. You don't have to pay for your sins anymore. Stop trying. He paid it in full. All sin you will ever commit, past, present, future, he paid for it. He paid it. Graduates look forward to that day when paid in full will be written across their student loans. We have paid in full written across our sins, written across it. Now God can look at you if you know him, if you know Christ, and say, my son, my daughter, perfect, spotless, blameless, forgiven by my son, covered by the blood of the lamb, loved for all of eternity, treasured, Heirs of the kingdom of heaven, no more condemnation. Why does he do this? Look at verse 35. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth, that you also may believe. Jesus wants you to believe. In fact, you have to believe for this to be applied to you. We don't believe that Jesus just died to cover every person on the planet forever, that they don't have to do anything. They're just forgiven. That's, that's heresy. No, you have to believe to receive his atonement. You have to believe to receive his payment for your sins. You don't get it otherwise. You, you don't get it otherwise. You have to believe. They come over to finish the job as he's hanging there. It's getting close to the Sabbath. They can't keep him on the cross or the other guys on the cross on the Sabbath. It's that their day begins at sundown, not sunrise. So 6 o'clock about is when their day begins. The Sabbath begins at 6 p.m. So they, these two guys hanging around him, they break their legs so that they'll die. The way that you hung on the cross, if you couldn't hold yourself up, you'd suffocate. That's why they do that. They break his legs so that they will die quickly. They go to do that to Jesus, but they find he's already dead. 
so they don't have to break his bones so that scripture can be fulfilled. Not one of the bones was broken, written in Psalm 22, thousands of years before Jesus was born. So they take a spear, they stick it in Jesus' side, and what runs out? Blood and water. That's interesting. Is that just a throwaway line? Well, they, did a, um, they had some medical people examine the story of Jesus and look at this, and the, the medical people concluded probably why water and blood runs out is that his heart had ruptured. His heart had ruptured. That is, under the full weight of your sin, under all the stress and pain that this brought, his heart literally exploded. All to fulfill Scripture. Why? So that you'll believe. Believe on Jesus. Don't just believe in that Jesus was a real guy who died one day. Believe in Jesus in such a way that it changes you. He died your death so you don't have to ever again. And he now extends that offer out to you. Your sin will either be punished by Jesus on the cross or by you in hell for all of eternity. Which one do you want? You must place your faith in the reality that Jesus stood in your place on the cross. He made that payment for you. This takes it deeper than him just being a historical guy who died one day. Did he take your place? Have you believed that? If you know Jesus, this cross is your hope in every part of your life. It's your hope. It shows God's immense love for you. It gives you confidence that you're in right relationship with God. He's forever pleased with you, not because of what you've done, because of what Jesus did. He's forever pleased with you. He, he, he can't love you any more than he does, and he will not love you any less than he does. It gives you a picture of how to love others. We lay our life down for other people. It gives you the highest reason to worship God. It compels you with all of your might to sing his praises. We are designed to sing the praises of glory being revealed. That's how we're made. When we see the grandeur of a sunset, usually out here over the cemetery, when we see those sunsets, we can't help but scream, wow, look at that. When, 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 when we hear that a couple that we know got engaged or they're expecting a baby, we cheer for them. That's awesome. When we see a magician do a magic trick and it like blows our mind, we sit there in awe and wonder, how did that happen? When we, you know, eat really good food and taste it, like our taste buds explode in wonder. Like, wow, I've never tasted something like that before. And when glory is revealed, we can't help but worship. We see the glory of God and the love of God revealed here at the cross in all its magnificence. Can you do anything but sing with joy? Aren't you in awe and wonder of this? Doesn't it leave you breathless? Never take your eyes off the cross. It's your hope. It's your hope. It's not the ABCs of your faith as if it's just the starting point of your faith. It's the A through Zs of your faith. It's the foundation for every part of the Christian life. Look at final five verses of the chapter. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was, a, this is starting 38, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrhs and alloys, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloth with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. In the garden, a new tomb, 
in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. They bury Jesus. They take him off the cross. They bury him. They wrap him up. They bring this alloys to him. They bury him. They roll the stone in front of the grave, and it seems like it's all over. We just read 19 chapters for the guy to die at the end until Sunday. Sunday's coming. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you, um, it's not the end of your story when they roll the stone in front of your grave. It's only the beginning. Well, I can't even really say that since you've existed forever, but, but Lord, you are, um, you, you, your story is coming to a climax right here as we see the, the beauty of it. Lord, may we never put our hope in our works or in anything we do, for we can't do much of anything. May we put our hope fully in the cross. You paid for our sins in the past. You paid for our sins in the present. You paid for them in the future. We are yours forever. I pray that those here who know Jesus would take great hope in that. They cannot be snatched away from you because of what you've done. But Lord, if there's any here who don't know you, I pray in Jesus' name they would come running to you. For those no hope, there is no hope apart from you. Lord, I pray for each person here that you build in them anticipation for the, in the coming week for what comes next in this story when the stone rolls away. Lord, build anticipation in us as we look to that. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together now. Um, you should have received one of these. You came in. Um,